Good morning, Hagerstown Church. Um, I just want to take a moment as we begin our time together this morning to let you know that I love you very much and I miss you very deeply. Uh, it's been difficult for uh, me as a pastor to not be able to gather with my flock on, um, on the Lord's Day, but um, I, I trust that uh, you're safe in His care and from a distance as I attempt to care for you as an under-shepherd. Uh, both Pastor Tim and myself uh, feel that way, and we look forward to the day when we can gather again face-to-face -face, as we did and uh, as we will for all eternity with the Lord. And uh, with that said, I, I do want to just offer this to you. I, I hope that you're pursuing community as much as is possible, um, given our circumstances. I, I know for me, it's been a joy to stay connected with my discipleship group that meets on Fridays, and also with my life group that meets on Sundays in the afternoon. So I, I know that's been important for me, and I uh, hope that uh, you have been faithful to remain as much as is possible connected with your life group, with your D group, if you're a part of those. And if you're not, and I know that we're in the middle of a, a crisis globally right now, but I, I still think that this would be a great time for you to pursue community in that way. The Lord's blessed us with um, with media and uh, and different tools that can still get us in, in, in some form or fashion in the presence of one another. So I would encourage you to pursue those as much as possible through either a life group or a D group. And if you're not part of a life group, um, a group of, of individuals, 10 to 15, that meet together and uh, discuss the, the sermon on a weekly basis, I would encourage you and invite you to be a part of mine. And so reach out, uh, reach out here in the comments below. Or if you have my contact info, you're welcome to reach out to me. Or you can reach out at info at hagerstownchurch.org. We'd love to get you connected with a life group or D group, possibly even mine. And so uh, there's that. And continuing to discuss this idea of community, whether, whether you're tuning in via Facebook or through YouTube, I would encourage you, and I, I hope that you'll do this, that you'll interact with the sermon and the text this morning live as, we, as this uh, message is broadcast. And so uh, please uh, quote parts of the sermon, quote, quote parts of scripture, uh, throw a like up there or a love or maybe uh, something like that. Uh, and also don't forget to share and subscribe and, and uh, to like what's going on here um, via the platform that you're using this morning. Well, as we get started, uh, we'll, I want to just tell you at the onset that we'll continue this morning our study in, in the Gospel of Mark specifically in chapter 1 and verses 35 to 39. And so they're going to jump, we'll just jump right in this morning. I'll read the, the text there. It should be on your screen. But it, the Word of God says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he played, prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, again, this is our prayer this morning, that you would bless the reading of your word. And as we open the text this morning, as we walk through it slowly, we pray that you would bring to life your words. We pray that we would be encouraged as a result of our time this morning. Father, we pray that we'd be corrected as a people. Father, we pray that as disciples, that we would be discipled as we look at 
Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord. We pray that we would pay close attention to the cues, to the actions, to the statements that he even makes. That as a result of our time together observing our Lord, that we would be better disciples and that ultimately we would be fishers of men. Because that's what you desire to make of us. We pray that these things would be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. As I typically do, I want to just give you a, a, one of the main points, if not the main point of this text, and that's this, that Jesus was not confused about his purpose in coming to earth. He was to preach the good news. I'll say that again. Jesus was not confused about his purpose in coming to earth. He was to preach the good news. Now, I, I, I gained that main point, not just from verse 39 this morning, but in verse 38, but also from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus explicitly says that. Now, we couple that information with Mark 10, 45, and we know that Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. But part of that seeking and saving the lost was to preach the gospel and also to enact the events of the gospel, which is dying on the cross being buried and rising again the third day. But Jesus was not confused about this. This was his purpose. The nuanced in this statement this morning is that Jesus didn't come to cast out demons. Jesus didn't come to heal sickness. While we desire that, and we long for that as a people, possibly more now than ever, we still know this, that Jesus' main purpose was to preach the gospel and to seek and to save the lost. As you can see in this text this morning, it had been quite a day for Jesus. Here he's, he's, he's spent that Sabbath day, the day of rest. He's been teaching in the synagogue. He's been having numerous conversations there. He, he cast out a demon. He's been healing what, would what we could imagine to be hundreds of folks there in Capernaum. Hundreds of folks that were sick, blind and, and hurting. And Jesus spends the day healing them. It's been a full day, but it's not been full of gospel fruit. That's, again, why Jesus came. And yet, as we read these verses in this account, verses 35 to 39, we don't see any gospel fruit. We don't see anybody repenting of their sins, sadly. Nobody turning to Jesus. Remember, he didn't come to, to heal and to cast out demons. He came to preach. He came to seek and to save the lost, spiritually speaking. As we saw last week, the, the healings and the, the exorcism, they, they, were, they served to verify that Jesus was truly able to do what he said he was doing, that, that the gospel really was a reality. That he could turn back the effects of sin in the world. That's what he's doing. So he, he came and he preached a message there in Capernaum. He, he pointed folks there to a choice, either repent receive forgiveness and grace, or continue in your sins and receive judgment from God in a place eternally called hell. So it was though the crowds that gathered there in Capernaum that Saturday evening and then the Sunday morning that they had made their decision, but it, it wasn't involving repentance. It wasn't revolving, uh, uh, involving uh, a desire for forgiveness Rather, they were looking to Jesus, I would estimate, as an entertainer. 
And that's why Jesus interrupts the miracles. He, he pauses and he goes elsewhere to the other cities in Galilee. He goes there to proclaim the gospel of God. Now, no doubt this was his original plan from the beginning. But here, he makes his decision. He's not been there long. He's moving right along. It's a tragedy that in these verses we don't read of repentance, that we don't read of those turning to Jesus, receiving the kingdom, but only bringing their sick and possessed to Jesus. They'd heard the good news, and now they just wanted more signs. They just wanted more miracles. It's not actually that uncommon. You know, I have to admit this morning that I've been guilty of looking past Jesus' command in my life to repent and turn to him. And I've reached past that and I've asked for him to give me something or to bless me in some form or fashion. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've come to, to Jesus or you've, you've said, I'll go to church so that Jesus will fix my children. Maybe that's what you've desired this morning. Maybe even now you're not a part of Hagerstown Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. But maybe you've tuned in this morning so that Jesus maybe might fix your children. Or that he might heal your marriage. Or that he might help you to find a mate. Or get, help you get your life back together. Or to deliver you from some addiction, whether it be pornography or some alcohol or, or chemical substance. Maybe you are looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll pursue you if you'll provide me with wholesome community. I'm longing for that in my life. Or maybe you're saying, hey, as a businessman, you're saying, hey, if we increase, if we pursue the Lord, if we pursue Jesus, if we bring back prayer in schools, it will increase morale, morality there in society, which will help us to thrive both socially and financially. Maybe that's your desire this morning. You've come to Jesus with an ulterior motive. No doubt Jesus is able to do any of these things, all of these things, and more. Yet first he looks to us and he calls us to repent of our sin and to trust him for forgiveness, thereby offering us a way to escape coming judgment and to be reunited with the Father. Imagine how you would feel if you had come and preached your heart out in a city and you'd demonstrated your authority to offer pardon and grace, but people ignored your message and just wanted you to do another magic trick. It's devastating. What if they showed up the next morning and said, yeah, 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 we heard what you said, but perform another miracle for us. That's what we really want to see. It's likely that Jesus was tempted to doubt the effectiveness of the gospel, to doubt the effectiveness of the plan that he and the Father had before time began. It's likely that Jesus was lured to becoming angry or even disappointed. You might say this morning, but, but Jesus is God. He, he would never be tempted. He would never doubt or sin like me. And while that's true, he would not sin. It is not true that he would not be tempted. We have to know, as Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, that Jesus was not anemic to temptation. We already saw that a few verses ago. As Jesus spends time in the wilderness, he is tempted by Satan. And no doubt here, after this long day on the Sabbath, he is tempted to become discouraged, to become frustrated, 
Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect had been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be discouraged, to be frustrated even, and yet without sin. And so what do we make of this? What do we see Jesus doing in the moments of his temptation, in the moments of, of weakness, as it were? Well, we see that he goes to the Father. He pursues the Father in prayer. And this is a key. This is a key. Listen to this. The key to Jesus' clarity and purpose was his time spent in prayer. The key to Jesus' clarity and purpose was his time spent in prayer. You see, Jesus had a, a clarity and a focus in his mission. And, the, and though others would come to him that morning and even that night asking him to do this or to do that, it might be contrary to what he's been called to do, what he came here to do. Jesus wasn't turned to the left or to the right. Why? Because of his time spent in prayer. His communion with the Father, his dependence on the Father, his submission to the Father, all of these culminating in his prayer life. And I want to just take a few moments and, and talk about prayer. And so in regard to prayer in this text, I want to offer two points this morning. And they are this, definition and demonstration. As we walk and walk through this text and talk about prayer, we'll talk about these two things, definition and demonstration. And so first, let's jump into definition. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God, whereby one addresses God directly, and it may include petition, entreaty, supplication, thanksgiving, praise, hymns, and lament. So it may include petition, entreaty, supplication, thanksgiving, praise, hymns, and lament. This is, as we look through the Bible, as we look through church history, as we look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that these are, are aspects of prayer for the Christian. In other words, prayer is talking, simply talking with God. It's an act of communion. It, prayer is both speaking and listening. And Jesus enjoyed from eternity past a, a communion with the Father and with the Spirit as part of the Trinity. And now having left his heavenly estate, having condescended, having, having taken on flesh and become incarnate, he longs for that communion again. And here we see that he finds it in prayer. No doubt this was Jesus' Jesus's habit to get up early in the morning and to spend time in communion with the Father. And throughout the day, no doubt Jesus prayed without ceasing, as it were. Here we see again that Jesus was not confused about his purpose here in this life. He wasn't confused as to why he came to earth. He knew exactly what it was. He had come to preach the gospel. And how did he say, stay so laser-focused on his vision? How did he stay so laser-focused on the purpose that he'd been given by God? Well, he was in constant communion with his Father. So he isn't deterred by the disciples that Sunday morning. That's, that's remarkable. The, the, the word searching in verse 36, it literally means to pursue, to track down. And the idea is of one hunting wild game. And so with, with an intention specific, 
They're searching for Jesus. And then you couple that, that verb there with the statement that they make when they first find Jesus. It's almost as if they're backhanding Jesus, as if he should have known better, that he should be somewhere else, that he should not be doing what he is doing at that very moment, communing with the Father. But instead, it's as if they're saying, you should have been doing this. It harkens back to the, the time where we read in the other Gospels where Jesus is left in Jerusalem and his mother and father go on about their business for some time and it's, some, it's a few days before they realize that Jesus, their son, is not with them. And so they return back to the city to find Jesus. And as they get there, they, 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 they hear word that he's in the temple and so, or in the synagogue. And so they go and they find him and, and there they find him. What is he doing? He's teaching. He's teaching and they, they reprimand him. And what does he say? Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? But it's almost similar here that they're saying to Jesus, what? Don't you know any better? Don't you realize that everybody's looking for you? This is a, this is a royal nightmare. Where have you been, Jesus? Jesus responds to them, maybe similarly, don't you know I must be about pursuing my father? What we begin to see here is that the time that you spend with God is equally proportionate to the clarity that you have and your purpose, that time in prayer equals clarity and purpose. Time in prayer equals clarity in purpose. Jesus was focused. He wasn't deterred by the disciples, however frustrated they may be. Jesus knew this, that no man is greater than his prayer life. One theologian pastor said that. No man is greater than his prayer life. And here Jesus is pursuing the Lord. He's pursuing the Father. Let me turn this to you this morning. Maybe I'll ask you this. You might say that you have a lack of clarity in regards to your purpose. You wonder on a regular basis, what are you here for? What, what has God called you to do? Maybe you're not lacking focus at all. Maybe it's focused 180 degrees the wrong direction. Either way, if you're struggling to have a, a narrow focus as to what God has called you to do, or if you're struggling to remain focused on what you know he's called you to do, is it possible, is it somehow linked to the fact that you have a weak or non-existent prayer life? We see here in Jesus' life that when one has a, cl a clarity and purpose, it is often attached to time spent in prayer. Time spent in prayer. It's been said that this is the great untapped resource of the Christian life. Time spent in prayer. One man declared that the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but listen to this, unoffered prayer. The great tragedy in life is not the un, uh, unanswered prayer, but the unoffered prayer. Instead of it being something that we do every day, prayer has somehow become this thing that we do only in crisis. It's as if it's that thing on the wall, the little red rectangle with a white T in the middle, and we reach out and we pull that down only in case of emergency. Sadly, Jesus is aware of this. You must know this. We need to be reminded about this, that a significant part of Jesus' ministry at this point in time was, was not just to the masses, but it was to the disciples as well. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples just a few verses ago? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And no doubt Jesus knows that if these are to be effective fishers of men, if they are to, to be effective gospel ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will need to have a fervent prayer life. They will need to have that. So now what can Jesus do to make them prayers, as it were? Well, he could speak a word, he could touch their lips, and it would be done. However, knowing that the work for us of making disciples that we're commanded to do, knowing that it is a physical and a metaphysical accomplishment, he teaches them with a demonstration. He doesn't just tell them. He doesn't just impart that knowledge. He disciples his disciples. And we have a first, uh, or a front row seat, rather, to this event. And now we know how to teach others to be prayers. We know how to teach other disciples. Why? Because we see the demonstration of Jesus Christ. He leads by example. He intentionally allows his disciples to find him there on his knees praying. He allows his disciples to feel the tension of the crowd's desire against the Father's will. He allows the disciples to slowly become what? Fishers of men. Day after day, time spent with Jesus, he was discipling them. What does this do for us? Well, for me, it does a couple things. But one, it, it, it encourages me that Jesus knows our nature. He knows our weakness. He knows that we aren't naturally dependent on the Lord. And that we would rather in, uh, reserve prayer for the last-minute deal. And what does Jesus do? Well, he models for us what it's like. He's working in our lives and he's calling us. But not only is he calling us to be fishers of men, but he's also making us fishers of men. He's active in the lives of his disciples. He's active in our lives as well. And he's demonstrating for us the proper method of making disciples, and that is to lead by example. We say this often around here. You can't take someone where you've never been. Jesus, being in the presence of the Father many times through eternity past, demonstrates for his disciples how a servant of the Lord, is to pursue the Father. So knowing that Jesus is discipling us through his example this morning, let's actually dive into what he does. We saw the definition of prayer, but now let's look at the demonstration. What does he do? What is he demonstrating for us? Well, there's two aspects underneath of demonstration that I want to point to here. And there's two key words. They each have a key word. The, 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 the first one that we come across is first. First, one thing you're not going to hear from Jesus' lips regarding prayer there at the end of any day is, I just ran out of time. I didn't have time to pray. You see, Jesus, in regards to prayer, it was his first priority. It was his number one priority. He wanted to hear from God before he heard from anything else. Nothing was more important than his time spent with the Father. And this is a biblical principle. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God. Before anything else, seek first the kingdom of God and everything, all of your needs will be met. That's a biblical principle, to seek first God and the kingdom of God. It's also a biblical principle for us to give to the Lord of the first fruits of our harvest. Off the top, off the beginning, right at the onset, we're to give to the Lord. This is, again, a biblical principle. Martin Luther made, his, made this point clear when he said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Isn't that 
ring true in your life? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But he's saying he has so much to do that he has to spend the first three hours in prayer. It's a bit ironic. Most of us would say quite the opposite. We have so much to do this morning, we don't have time to pursue the Lord in prayer. We, couldn't, we could absolutely not do that first. If we have time at the end, maybe then we'll pursue the Lord. Not at the, on the, at the onset. And yet Martin Luther says that that's, that's the only way. What is he doing if not following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus? Practically speaking, there's no better time to pray than first thing in the morning. There's a danger here because if we lean into this, this principle that Jesus prayed first, if we lean into that too heavily, we can become legalistic. That shouldn't drive us away from the power of setting a time aside each morning for praying, for scheduling a time to pursue the Lord in prayer. One author, Annie Dillard, she wrote this, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. She goes on to defend the idea of scheduling the important things in our lives. And it's a very practical point. Does it not seem wise? Is there not a precedent here as we see in our Lord pursuing the Lord or pursuing the Father first? That's quite an example for us. But what would it look like if, if before you said a word to anyone, before you checked your phone, before you checked the news, before you listened to the latest update on COVID-19, what would it look like for you to speak to the Lord? For you to pursue the Father and to give your first moments of the day in communion with Him. First, first, Jesus' time in prayer, communion with the Father, was first. The second aspect was that it was focused. And so Jesus' prayer was first and it was focused. Have you ever had the unpleasant experience of, of spending time with somebody, being in conversation with somebody who is multitasking, but they're multitasking very poorly? How does that make you feel? Of course, you've been in that situation. You don't seem to be getting your point across. They don't seem all too interested, and the conversation literally falls flat. You know how I know Jesus' time with the Father was focused and, and did not fall flat? Well, it gives us some hints here. It was early. It says he departed, and the place that he went was desolate. And so it was early, not very many people getting up early. Jesus here, he, he rises knowing that not many will be up, and what does he do? Well, he departs. So he gets up early when not, other, not many others will be up. He departs even from the place where people congregate, even there at the, at the house. And it says that he goes to a desolate place, which simply means this. It was uninhabited. It's a similar word for uh, used to speak of the wilderness. The point that Jesus is making here, or that Mark is making of Jesus, is that he is going to a place where nobody is. He's finding a quiet place, and he's going to pursue the Father there. And Jesus wanted nothing to come in between his time with the Father. In order to be focused, he had to remove all distractions from himself. Now, it's easier said than done. And you might even be saying this morning, well, Jesus didn't have to deal with COVID-19 and, and, and eight kids running around the house and not been, being under house arrest effectively. And, and maybe you would, you would throw that out there. But either way, there is still an opportunity for you to imitate our Lord by pursuing the Father both first and focused. 
How can you, practically speaking, pursue the Father in prayer with focus? It's a great question. The crowds, they're wanting Jesus to come back and heal. The disciples wanted him to come and do this or to do that. Well, one group wants him to go to this neighborhood. Another group wants him to go to this area over here. There were several, if not many, distractions available to Jesus. And yet, he knew what the Father would have him to do. He knew why he came. And what does he do? He does exactly what the Father has willed. You see, there were good distractions in Jesus' life. That very day, that Sunday morning, there were good distractions and there were bad distractions. But good distractions and bad distractions, whether they're morally good or bad, either way, they are still distractions. So there are options in your life. There are many good things that you could be doing. And yet Jesus calls us all, by example this morning, to pursue the Father first and with a focus. In other words, Jesus wasn't distracted by what was taking place around him. He wasn't letting the good ideas of the day. He wasn't letting the, the good tools of, uh, of social media, what might be morally acceptable in those days, in that time, in that culture, to distract him from what the Father had given for him to do. You see, he wanted to get away from everything. Why? Because nothing else mattered, only the opinion of of the Father. He was in perfect submission to Him. And so how do we do this today? How do we commune with the Father just as Jesus did? Well, it's been said that prayer is talking to God and that reading the Bible is God talking to you. What a great place to start, to pursue the Lord, to, to have communion with Him, to speak and to listen with the Father, both by praying and by reading Scripture. I hope that in this crisis, as we look at this text this morning, and in this crisis, that you'll make the most of your time. As I scroll through social media and talk with brothers and sisters and friends and family, one of the things that I regularly hear is that they just have more time on their hands. Everybody has more time. Maybe you're saying that you don't have more time. I'm, I'm not sure. But either way, would this not be a great opportunity for you to begin to pursue the Lord at a greater, at a greater level, at a, at a deeper level, to spend that time with the Lord. Hey, here's time, church. It is my prayer personally for you that you would have a clarity in your purpose as a result of your time, of our time spent with the Father. What is our purpose? What is our purpose? I, I love how one missionary couple put it. To know God and to make him known. To become a fisher of men. To pursue the Lord and to pursue others to know the Lord. Hagerstown Church, this is my prayer for you. And Hagerstown Church, you are sent.